Here in, in Hebrews chapter number 12, we're going to get into this verse number one. Before we do that, one of the things that I want you to know that I believe God is calling the church to do is getting to a practice of leaving things behind, which kind of sounds crazy, but we have to actually get into a habit of leaving things behind. And what I mean by that are the things that prohibit you from walking right before God. The things that hinder you in your pursuit of a holy life. The things that push you back from God. And we're going to get into this message. The, the key thing is to leave behind the things that prohibited your walk with Jesus. Now, I, I, I'm talking specifically in, in your personal life. There are things that we do. And as we get into this message, uh, we're going we're gonna to exactly kind of get into that. Uh, let's look in verse number one of Hebrews chapter number 12. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now we're going to pause right there for a minute. We'll come back into verse number two. But in this first verse, a couple of things, the great cloud of witnesses that compass us about, if you go back into chapter 11, that's talking about the, the, the faith hall of fame. And you, you know, we have the hall of fame for sports and things like that and music, but this is for faith. If you ever want to have a faith hero, you can go in there. That's the hall of fame of faith. And the, the, the people that gone on before us, are a cloud of witnesses to us, or in other words, they testify. Even though they're already gone, they testify today because they trusted God. Amen. Sometimes these, if you if you look through that Hall of Fame of Faith, there was times that every single one of them had to trust God more than they trusted their eyes. Amen. And there's times in our lives when we get into a situation when we can't see our way out of it. We don't know how to get out of it, but God is asking us to trust him, amen? And if we'll trust God, amen, how many of you know that things are going to work out? If you trust God with all your heart, things will work out. You may not know the hows, but you know the who. Amen. I always say this, but you know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you know who holds tomorrow in his hand, and it's God. Amen. So I know if I wake up tomorrow, it's going to be okay because God's already there. I know if I live another five years, it's okay because God's already there. Amen. I don't know what I'm going to be in five years, but I know I'll be in his hand. Amen. And so that is a, a precious truth that we need to hold on to. But the great cloud of witnesses around us, that is the saints that have gone on before us, held on to God when they couldn't see with their eyes. You see what I'm saying? They didn't know. You, you, if, if you look at the life of Abraham, how am I going to have a child when I'm this old? Amen. It doesn't make sense with a natural eye, but he ended up trusting God. Amen. Every single one of them, Gideon and Moses and all these people of faith all throughout Hebrews 11, they testify. And look, there's even saints that have gone on before us just in this past year, in the past 10 years. These saints that have trusted God, you come up in a situation and you don't know, you don't know how God's going to do it, but you just know that God's going to do it. 
That's what it's talking about. That's where faith is. Amen? That's where faith is. Faith is, is not knowing how it's going to work out, but trusting that God's going to work it out. That's true faith. Now, as we get into this, look what it says in the second part of verse number one. After it's talking about the cloud of witnesses, it says, and because if you don't do this, you're not going to have that same kind of testimony. So watch this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, in order for us to lay aside, in, in order for us to lay aside those things that weigh us down and the sins that beset us, how many of you know we've got to take inventory in our lives? Amen. We've got to get to the point where we just kind of stop and say, God, is there a false way in me? God, is there anything in me that's error? Is there anything in me that displeases you? And some of us, we're, we're, we know we're on the crooked path. We know there's some things in our lives that aren't pleasing to God, and so we don't ask God because we already know. But there's others of us, amen, that sometimes God has to show us in a mirror. Some of us are hard-headed and think we're right all the time. And we need to stop and just say, God, is there any? Because you know what? Jeremiah 17, he says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. If you just trust your heart and you say, ah, they're crazy, everything's fine in my life, well, you know, everything might be fine in your head, but it's different when it's according to God. Because our hearts will deceive us. Our hearts will, will tell us that everything's okay. It will lie to you. Amen? How many of you has your heart lied to you in your life? <laughs> That's what the Word of God says. And yet, we trust our hearts. We'll walk out, oh, they're not going to tell me what to do. They're not, who do they think they are? They're not going to tell me what to do. Well, no, no, no. Look, ask God. Ask God. Present yourself to God. If you're going to obey this part of this verse, you're going to have to present yourself to God and say, God, here I am. Here I am. If there's anything in me that's wrong, please show me, and I'll ask for forgiveness. I will change it. But, Lord, I'm presenting myself to you. I don't want to hold back anymore. You know, we're beginning into a new year right now, and this is the perfect time to start on a new track. It's time to stop living half and half. Amen. I never quite understood people that drink half sweet tea and half unsweet, the half and half. I mean, just do one or the other. Amen. God never called us to be in the middle. God called us to come after him with hot pursuit. Amen. Not lukewarm. Not lukewarm. He said that he would rather you be hot or cold or he'd spew you out of his mouth. God's looking not for half and half. God never asked us to live a half and half life. He asked us to live full and completely surrendered unto him, full of his Holy Spirit, living in the light of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so in order for us to lay aside these weights, and if you don't think that there's weights in your life, Again, your heart has deceived you. Every single person has different types of weights, things that weigh you down. One of, the, one of the most important lessons we can learn is that God cares for us. In the Bible, he says, you know, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Do you hear the Lord saying that? You know, I didn't say that. I didn't pin that. God said it. He said, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. 
Do you realize that there's so many of us that will carry burdens around? We'll tell brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and we'll blast it on Facebook, but we won't get on our face before God. We'll get on Facebook, but we won't get on our face before God and tell God the burden of our soul. Do you know that's what God's looking for? God's looking for you to get real with him? Because you know God already knows. Whenever Adam sinned in the garden, whenever Adam, you know, he was hiding, right? He was hiding. He wasn't hiding from God. He was hiding from himself. God knew exactly where he was. When God said, Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where he was. He was waiting on Adam to tell God, here I am. And many of us here, God's waiting on us to say, God, here I am. I'm tired of hiding from you. I'm tired of being in the bushes. I'm tired of living a half and half life. I'm ready to come out from the bushes. I'm ready for you to cleanse me. I'm ready for you to get this junk out of my life. And I'm going to walk in the way that you tell me to. I'm going to walk in the light of your word. I'm going to walk in the power of your spirit. I'm going to walk in the newness of life if you'll give it to me, God. I'm tired of living half and half. Amen? And so with this, you know, whenever Adam was presented with that opportunity and God said, Adam, where are you? Choice. Choice. Do I pull back? Do I keep my mouth shut? Do I just close my eyes and hope that he passes by? Or do I use this opportunity to come out of the bushes and say, God, let's get it right. Let's get it right. You ever had a, a, a kid that, that got in trouble, which, you know, we do. But if you ever have a kid that gets in trouble and, and, and you know what they've done, but they won't tell you, doesn't that anger you more than if they would just fess up and say, this is what I did? Remember one of the worst spankings I got in my life when I shot a, a pellet gun at my grandmother's uh, wind chime and busted it all up. I was the only one that had a pellet gun around there, right? But I denied, 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 denied. I did not, did not. I don't know who did it. Somebody else did. But everybody knew it was me, and it got worse and worse. The more I denied, the more I turned my head, I could see the, the steam coming out of my grandma's ears. <laughs> and it got worse for me. God's, God's waiting on us to say, okay, I did, here I am. I, I, I want to come out of the bushes. You know the truth. God sees us. God, God is not a man that he should lie. God's, you know, God's in the past, the present, and the future. God's not bound by time. He's eternal. He's, he's everywhere at the same time. And God knows what's going on in our lives. And so the, the, what God's looking for in this verse is these weights that we're ready to surrender to God. You know, there's things in your life that have set you back, that have put weight on you. Maybe it's worry about tomorrow. Maybe it's worry about your family members. Maybe how am I going to pay my rent next month? How, where, when am I going to get a job? What, what if my health fails me? You know what? All of those questions, God has them doesn't matter what a doctor says. It doesn't matter what a stock market says. It doesn't matter what your boss says. Your boss may go broke. Don't put your faith in somebody. Stock market may crash. Don't put your, and even if the stock market crashes, if you're in God's hands, guess what? God's going to provide for you somehow, some way. Your faith can't be in man. It's got to be in God. 
And God's looking for us. It, those things will weigh you down, especially if you listen to talk radio or watch the news or read the newspaper. The, the more you read and the more you listen, the more stressed out you're going to get, the more worried you're going to get about tomorrow. Amen? Tomorrow is in God's hands. Tomorrow's in God's hands. And God... Amen. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that we are safe in his hand. No man can pluck you out of his hand. You're safe in the hands of God. So the best thing that we could do is to release our burdens and say, God, look, here's my family. Here's my health. Here's my tomorrow. I surrender it to you. I can't worry about it no more. It's weighing me down. And it's keeping me back from being a faithful believer. Sometimes we can worry about the right thing the wrong way. We worry about the right thing the wrong way. What do you think about um, if, if you get worried and thinking, you know, God, am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? Am I saved? And God's saying, you are, you are, you are, you are. Quit worrying about what's already been done. God's looking for people to believe what he said. Now, look at the rest of this verse. It says, to lay aside, right, the, um, and the sin that easily besets us. If you've ever heard that, that term, besetting sin, um, that's where that comes from. A besetting sin is something that constantly trips you up. And if we're honest, and I hope that you are since you're in church, if we're honest, the same things usually defeat us. That's a besetting sin. It's usually something we go back to, or I, I always say shrink back to. It's kind of like a turtle. You shrink back in that shell. That's your besetting sin, and it's like, you know, you always have your shoes untied, and it always trips you. Every time you start to go for God, the same thing trips you up again, or the same ballpark of issues. That's a besetting sin. And those are the things that we've got to get deliverance from God over. Amen? And I'll show you why. Because you might say, well, I like my besetting sin. Well, you shouldn't, okay? You shouldn't. And I want to show you why. Look at this in the next part of this verse. It says, uh, the sin which does so easily beset us. And isn't that true that those besetting sins, they easily beset you? Amen? They easily get you? You know, you know how it is. As soon as you walk out of church, you easily get back in that same rut. Come on now. As soon as you get home, you easily get right back where you once were. God's calling us to go differently today. God's calling us to leave behind those things that beset us, to walk a new walk, talk a new talk, and live a new life. Now, the, the sins that so easily beset us, and, and, and look at this next part, and let us run with, race, with, with patience the race that is set before us. Now, he's talking about our faith, our faith, and running with patience. Now, in order for us to run the race, we've got to be in the race. You've got to be saved to run the race. And, and secondly, in order to run the race, there's something that you need to understand. It's not about who gets to the finish line first. It's not that kind of a race. This kind of a race is we all win as long as we get there. As long as you get there, you're a winner. And, and the, the, the thing about this race is, if, as long as you keep your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to get there. And, and here's the key to it. Here's the key. 
is running with patience. I was saying earlier, you know, I, I, I used to run a lot, and I've, every time I've ever ran, I've always looked at my watch wondering how soon can I quit because I've never enjoyed running. I've never been that kind of just like Forrest Gump. Just I like to run. I've never been that kind. As soon as I start, I'm ready to stop. Amen? As soon as I start, I'm ready to stop. But in, in, in faith, in our walk with God, God's called us to run with patience. That means when you start out, when you start out, start with the plan to keep on keeping on, no matter what comes against you. Start out with the plan that says, you know what, I'm never going back to the old life. I'm never going to stop pursuing you, God. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to deviate off the path. Nothing's going to deter me. I'm going to run this race with patience. I'm not worried about when I get there as long as I get there. I'm not worried about when I get there. It's, it's that I get there. That I get there. That is what is important. You see, there's many of us that we have loved ones that have already finished their race. Their race is over. They're already in glory. Amen? They're singing around the throne, walking on the streets of gold, singing hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen? Worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb is what our loved ones sing because they finished the race. If you have breath in your lungs, your race is still going on. There's a reason that God has you here. There's a reason. It may be to bring somebody else to faith. It may be to, to, God may use you in a way you never dreamed. God may use you to begin writing books or tracts or encouraging people or leading worship or singing songs to the, to the tired and the downtrodden. You never know what God may do with a yielded vessel. And that's all that God's looking for is people that will just surrender their lives to him. He's not looking for the, the, the best. He's looking for those that will live a surrender life that he can use which is amazing, amen? God's just looking for a willing vessel. He's looking for a willing vessel that will say, God, you know what? The rest of my time here on this planet, however long it is, whether it's one day or 10 years or one year or 100 years, however long it is, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm running this race. I'm, I'm not gonna sit on the sidelines anymore. I'm gonna get involved in this, amen? And watch the next, this next part. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, all of our faith begins and is centered on who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. You can't put faith in what you say. You can't put faith in what somebody else did. Faith, it begins and it is centered on what Jesus did and who he is. And the fact that Jesus endured, amen, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, just for, um, just, just to say who Jesus is, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, his Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. And in, and in John 1, 14, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
So the Word of God became flesh. The Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word was God. So we're talking about God becoming a man, living a sinless life here on this earth, bearing our sins on the cross. Why? Why did he do that? Because our sins are so vile before God, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, if, if, if you don't understand this concept, it, it will elude you all your days. This is what we have to understand. God is holy, holy, holy. He's so holy, and our sins are so vile, there's nothing that we can do about them. He had to do something about them. Understand this. If you get a speeding ticket, you go out there and you speed, you may have to pay $75, $100 to the city, and the city will consider it squared. The city will consider it, that's a, that's a fair deal. You sped, you paid, it's done, okay? You, you, you did something wrong, but you paid for it. Now it's done. You know what with God, though? One lie, you can't, you can't square it with God. One lie. If that's all you ever did was told one lie, you would never be able to square it with God. That's how holy God is. You can't say, well, I told one lie, God, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sit and pray and read your word for 30 years. Wouldn't be good enough. I'm going to kill a million lambs. Wouldn't be good enough. I'm going to give all my money to the poor. Wouldn't be good enough. For one lie? No, you can never square it. That's how holy God is. That's why God sent Jesus, because he so loved us. Because we were so vile and so wretched and on our way to hell that God loved us and he sent a Savior for us. You see, this is the gospel. That's Jesus coming to save us from our sins, to redeem us from destruction, to give us hope of not going to hell and burning for all of eternity. I heard a preacher say the scariest thing about hell is that it is just as literal as what the Bible says. It's just as literal as what the Bible says. And that makes it scary. And you see, without the blood of Jesus forgiving us, redeeming us, that's where we would be. So the, the point of, of this is that every single person, every single person has weights that weigh them down, has sins that beset them. So God's calling us, if you're going to run this race if you're going to run this race, you're going to have to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You're not going to be able to do it by looking to yourself. You're not going to be able to brag about yourself and say, well, I haven't done this for umpteen years. That doesn't matter. Your faith has to begin and be centered on and founded on what Jesus did on the cross. That's it. That and nothing more. Amen? Now, let me show you something in Philippians chapter number 3. If you will, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to pick up this passage in verse number 12. Now, for time's sake, we're going to skip all the way down to verse number 12. But I encourage you to read Philippians 3. It's pro probably one of the best chapters in the Bible. Um, well, I say probably. I think it is. But beginning in verse number 12, Philippians Chapter number three, what we have here is we have the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter to the, the, the church here. And what he's doing in, in this chapter three is he is explaining to them where his hope lies. 
that his hope doesn't lie in his education. He's explaining to them that his hope doesn't lie in the good things that he's done. He's explaining to them that his hope doesn't lie in any good work. His hope doesn't lie in the church he belongs to. His hope relies only in one thing, and that's Jesus. It's one thing, it's Jesus. Now, in verse number 12, we're going to pick this up. He said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, just briefly, now none of us here have already attained. If, if the Apostle Paul hadn't attained yet, we haven't either. We're not going to be. We're not going to attain until we step into glory. Amen. Newsflash: we all we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we still wake up in this house of flesh. But when we step over into glory, we will have attained the complete promise of God. Amen. So, but from this day to that day, we're trusting and we're believing. Are you with me? Now, he says that he's not already perfect, but the hope is that he will be, That is because his faith is in Jesus. So recognize, number one, recognize, number one, that not everybody's perfect. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. Sometimes we allow our failures to beat us down. But the, the correct view of it is you're never going to be perfect. That doesn't mean you go the opposite direction. But look what he says after that. But I follow after. Look, he says, I recognize I'm not already perfect. I'm not all that in a bag of chips. But you know what? I'm following after you. I'm following after you. That's the heart. That's the heart of a man or woman of God. That is what God noticed about David. David messed up. David would sin greatly and vastly. David would sin and, and, and change people's lives forever. Think about adultery and murder and all the different things that David did, and yet the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Why? Why was he a man after God's own heart? Because when he fell, he, he turned to Jesus. He turned to Jesus. He didn't stop following he kept pursuing. And sometimes you might have to crawl. Sometimes you might have to crawl your way to God. But keep going. Keep following after him. And that's what Paul says. He says, you know what? I'm not already perfect. I haven't already attained. But I follow. I follow. And that is the hallmark of the man or woman of God. Do you follow God? Do you follow the Lord? Can it be said of you that you turned back or can it be said of you that you followed him at all costs? Whatever may come, I'm following you, Lord. And with Paul, it cost him a lot. He turned his back on his heritage, turned his back on his family name, turned his back on his religious duties because he had been, he had been, he, he had been saved miraculously on the road to Damascus. The, 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 the thought, the thought right here is so vital to understand the enemy will do everything in his power to get you to focus on your failures, 
But I want you to see that Paul was focused on the Savior. He didn't say, let me say it like this. He didn't say, I'm not perfect and I'll need, never be perfect. I'm just going to sit over here and whine about it. He didn't say, I'm not perfect. I haven't attained yet. I might as well not even try. He didn't say, you know what? I'm not perfect. I haven't attained yet. But you know what? I follow after. I follow after. I follow after. And that's a great question to ask yourself. Do you follow after him at all costs, whatever it may cost? Next verse. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before. I want to just share this with you. Forgetting those things which are behind. If you're going to pursue God, you're going to have to untangle yourself from your past. Listen to this. You can't control your past. You are who you are. You can't control your past. But you know what? Your past can control you. Some people, they, 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 their past amen, hovers over them. And they'll say, well, I'll never, I'll never do this because I'm that. You know what? Your past doesn't have to control you in Jesus. The Bible says that in Jesus, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Amen? Aren't we new creatures in Christ Jesus? Have old things passed away and old things become new? You see, in order for that to happen, we've got to forget the things behind us. You're not who you used to be. You're who God made you to be today. And the person you are today, you're going to be, you're going to be further in God tomorrow, or you ought to be. And, and next month, if God keeps you here another month, you ought to be further in God in a month. The, who you are today shouldn't be who you are tomorrow. You should be renewed and changed and more devoted and, and growing in the knowledge and the faith of Jesus Christ every day. Amen? Growth. In order to grow, you've got to not let the past hold you back. I don't know what your past is. And you know what? In all honesty, we all got a past. And it really doesn't matter. In God's eyes, in God's eyes, if you've been forgiven... You've been forgiven. It doesn't, you know, it does no good to, to keep saying, well, I'll never be this because I used to be that. What you're doing is you're allowing your past to, to keep you back from who God made you to be. I want to show you an example of this in Genesis chapter number 26. Now, Genesis chapter 26 is kind of an interesting passage to bring this thought out of. How many of y'all remember Abraham? Right? Abraham is the, the uh, father of faith, right? Father Abraham had many, had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Well, second son is Isaac. Second son is Isaac. Now, let me just kind of set this up for you here in Genesis chapter number 26. Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the son of promise. If, if you remember the Bible, the, um, Abraham's second son, Isaac, the first one was Sarah. 
represented, the New Testament represented promise, faith. Isaac represented God's promise. How many of you know that Isaac just standing there was a testimony that God was faithful and true? How old was Sarah? She was in her 90s. And because of faith, Isaac was standing there. How many of y'all have children or loved ones or things that have happened in your life that you know it was only there because of God's goodness, only there because of God's promise, amen? And look, Isaac, Isaac was standing there and he came up in the same situation his father entered into just years before. Same situation. When Let me show you this in verse number one. It says, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. That's his father. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Now, if you remember, just a few chapters before this, Abraham did the exact same thing in the exact same place. And the Lord appeared unto him, Isaac, and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swore unto Abraham thy father. Now, let me stop right there. Just understand, before Isaac goes down into Gerar, God stops him and says, don't go to Egypt, you go right there and understand I'm with you. I will perform everything for you. Go here, I've got your back. I'll protect you. This is, if you read this, this whole passage, this is what God says, I'm with you. Because you're Abraham's child, I'm with you. He made, him and Abraham had a covenant and God was honoring it through Isaac. And God told Isaac specifically, son, you go down to Gerar and I got your back. How many of you know that's a great promise? That's a great promise, great promise. But it was gonna be tested. It was gonna be tested because see, Isaac's father, Abraham, went into the same place, had the same situation. God had told him the same thing. Abraham went down in there, and he told everybody that Sarah was his sister, which was a partial lie. Now, Isaac has a wife, right? Isaac has a wife. They go down in there, same situation. And look what happens. Skip on down to verse number 6. It says, Isaac dwelt in the Gerar. And the men of that place asked him of his wife, and he said, she is my sister. And sin of the father came on the son. I was reading a commentary. They said, you know, what are the odds that Abraham set Isaac down and told him his failure? Probably not. Probably not because, you know, the things that we're ashamed of, we generally don't tell everybody. And it kind of goes to show you that the, the fathers and the mothers, we should set our children down and share with them the pitfalls that we've walked through so that they can help to avoid them, right? Maybe Isaac wouldn't have done this. 
but watch. Isaac's the son of promise and the son of faith, but he sins right here. He said, she's my sister, for he feared to say, she's my wife. Lest, said he, the men of that place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. You know what? God promised to protect Isaac. He had a promise of protection by God. But he sinned by lying to protect himself. God said, I'll protect you. But he didn't believe it. He didn't believe it. He lied to protect himself. That's pretty devastating, isn't it? It's pretty devastating. Now, what happens next is pretty remarkable. Uh, the king Abimelech, you know, he saw, he saw uh, Isaac and Rebekah just kind of around, and he noticed something different about them. They didn't act like brother and sister. They acted like husband and wife. So he called him and called him out on it. How many of you know that your sins will find you out? Amen. Amen. You may hide them from other people, but eventually God will let it be known. Uh, verse 9, Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold of a surety, she is thy wife. How says thou she's my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done to us? One of the people might have likely have lain with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness on us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, at this point, I'm just going to stop right here. I'm showing you something. I'm showing you something. Isaac failed. He didn't even fail forward. He fell. I mean, he flat out didn't trust God's promise. He flat out took matters in his own hands. He flat out did it his way, not God's way. God's way was to trust God. And Isaac's way was to lie. Because he thought by lying, he could trust man. Amen? That's called failure. Failure of faith. His faith faltered. And many of us in our lives, at some point or another, we've done things that was a failure of faith. Many of us have done things in our lives that are a failure of faith. And one of the things that God's calling us to do is to leave behind our failures. Can't change your past. Can't control it. Can't control it. Isaac can't go back in time and say, you know what, I take it back. She's my wife. But he had the option to let his past control him. I'm a failure. I'm never going to be anything. I'm a failure. I'm never going to get it. I'm a failure. He could allow his past to control him, or he can move on, forgetting the things behind him, just like Paul said. Isaac's the son of faith, the son of promise for a reason. For a reason, he moves forward. And in order for you to move forward in faith, this is beginning a new year. Everybody has New Year's resolutions. It's the best time ever. Just say, God, you know what? This is going to be a more godly year than ever for me. 
I'm going to give myself to the kingdom. I'm going to give myself to your ways. I'm going to give myself to you. I'm tired of playing, you know, solitaire and uh, Tetris and watching football and game shows and, you know, gallivanting around. You know what, God? I'm, I'm ready to settle and give my life to you completely and fully right now, this year, more than ever. I'm going to read. I'm going to study. I'm going to pray. I might fast a time or two, maybe. I don't want to take matters too far yet. But God, I'm giving myself to you this year. In order to do that, you've got to get untangled from your past. And I'm showing you this passage for a reason. Because Isaac had a direct, direct promise from God and completely ignored it. Can't get much more failure than that. We've done the same thing. God's promised us many things, and we've ignored it. We've ignored it. But God promised Isaac specifically. And watch this. Look what Isaac did. Next two verses. Then Isaac moped around. That's not what it says. Then Isaac went and felt sorry for himself. Now, that's what we do. Then Isaac let his past haunt him all his days. Now, that's not what he did. Look what it says. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward, went forward and grew until he became very great. You see, he did not allow his past to keep him backwards. It didn't allow his past to control him. You know what? It doesn't matter who you were in your past. It doesn't matter if you were a murderer or a prostitute or just, uh, you know, uh, just a lame duck, squishy, whatever. It, it doesn't matter what your past is. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you've got to decide, I'm not going to be who I once was. And in a greater way, in a greater way, now I was talking about salvation, in a greater way, who you were last year doesn't have to be who you are this year. Amen. Every single one of us failed in one degree or another last year. And you can give this year in a greater way to God. You can give yourself to God in a greater way this year. Say, God, you know what? I can't change what I did last year. Can't go back in there, but I'm not going to let it define this year. You see, sometimes we can set ruts in our past, and they define our future. Well, you know, I always start, but I never finish. That's a rut. You don't have to be like that. Well, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, the, I'm just that kind of person. I never study. I never pray. I never. You don't have to be that. You don't have to be that. You realize that, you know, Smith Wigglesworth, he, he didn't get saved until he was past his middle ages. He was a senior when he got saved. And he led revivals all over England and America. And he was in his 50s. You might say, well, that's a lot of ruts back there. 
He didn't let the ruts define his future, the ruts of the past. You know what? You might have you might have been set in ruts for a long time, but today's a new day. And look what Isaac did. Isaac didn't let his past define his future. It says he just he got rebuked by the king, and he decided to move forward. He just went out and started doing what he was supposed to do. Sow and reap. And then he just moved forward. Amen? He just moved forward. Now go back to uh, Philippians chapter number 3 just for a brief minute. Back to Philippians chapter number 3. See, whenever whenever we misstep, whenever we have mistakes in our lives, whenever we have failed, there's somebody that always comes running. There's somebody called the, the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren is your enemy. Okay? That's the devil. His title in Revelation is, or description in Revelation, is he's the accuser of the brethren. That means when a brother or a sister fails, he comes running and accusing them before God. And the Bible says in Revelation, he accused them night and day. And if you'll listen to the voice of the enemy, he'll tell you, see, you messed up. You've gone too far. You, you, they don't understand who you are. They don't understand what you've done. See, the voice of the enemy will constantly accuse you and tell you you're irredeemable. You're not forgivable. The voice of the enemy will say, everybody else can be forgiven, but you've gone too far. That's the voice of Satan. That's the voice of Satan. You see, Satan condemns. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation tells you you're not good enough to go to God. Get back in your hole. That's condemnation. Conviction, which is what the Holy Spirit does, says the only hope you have is God. Run to him. That's conviction. Conviction says you're never going to make it on your own. Go to God. Condemnation says get back in your hole and lick your wounds yourself. The devil wants to keep you back. God wants to bring you out and unto him. And what we've got to do is determine that our past isn't going to dictate our future. Our past isn't going to dictate our future. Um, I told you to go back to Philippians chapter 3. Let's pick this up in verse number, uh, the end of verse number 13. Look what he said he did. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now, this is the apostle. This is not just, you know, you know, the average Joe. This is the apostle Paul. And he said, look, this is something I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. You know, to be an apostle, Paul, listen, he was a Pharisee. In fact, he said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know what they had to do? They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Memorize them. We might be good if we memorize five verses. They memorized five books. Not to mention 
being blameless according to the law is what he said. You read the context in this. So he's not just some Johnny-come-lately. This guy had a heart for God. He just had his zeal misplaced is what he said in Romans. And so what he says is, this is something I do, forgetting the things which are behind. If you focus on yesterday, it'll set you up for failure. You have to be who you are in Christ today. You can't change yesterday. That's why I said, you can't control the past, but the past can control you. Many of us, many of us live a life with a cloud of our past on top of our heads. And I want you to know today, your past, your past can be completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. Every single failure, every single fault, whether it's murder or stealing bubble gum or rape or theft, abortion, whatever it is, I, I want you to know God can forgive you with the blood of Jesus Christ. If you'll receive his forgiveness today, he will completely and totally forgive you. So watch what he said. He said, for, I, this, he said this is what I do. Now, if, if the apostle had to do this, don't you know we need to? If the apostle did this, don't you know we need to? What better way to start out a year than to forget what's behind you? What better way to, to kick out a new year than say, you know what? I'm not going to continue in the same habits that I had last year. I'm not going to continue in those same bad habits. And, you know, I got in a habit of every time I got home, I would, you know, just turn on the TV and set my Bible on the shelf. On Sundays, I'd go dig it off the shelf again. That's a bad habit. You know what? Let the bad habits die with 2018 and be a new creature in 2019 under the Lord. He said, oh, look, I'm forgetting the things which are behind, and let's continue the rest of this verse. Let's show you something in just a second. Forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forth into the things which are before. You know that there's new life for you in Jesus. There's new life for you in him. But if you hold on to your past, you're never going to get there. You can't hold on to both. You can't hold on to both. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. In verse 14, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is what God is calling us to do. Running with race, running the race that is set before us with patience, pressing toward the mark of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to do. What is the mark of Jesus Christ? The mark of Jesus Christ is just simply another way of saying, uh, uh, of being where he is, being his being all that he wants you to be and trusting in the cross and nothing but the cross for your faith. And, and the, the great thing about this, the great thing about this is God is the one who makes all things new. God's not telling you you need to develop new habits. You just have to surrender God and God will make you a new person. God will put a new song in your heart. God will be the one that renews your spirit. God will be the one that renews your mind. If you go to him, God will be the one that changes you. You can't change yourself. A leopard can't change its own spots. Zebra can't take its stripes off. And you can't change yourself. That's called self-help. 
You can't change yourself. You've got to present yourself to God and ask God to have mercy and change you. That's the only hope that we have. That's the only hope we have. You know, you can read all the, all the self-help books on the bookshelf, and they won't help you. All they'll do is lie to you, and you'll buy the next one because that one didn't work. And then you'll buy the next one because that didn't work. Then you'll buy the next one because that didn't work. And same old, same old. That's why they have Christian bestsellers. But you try to do that kind of stuff. The, the only help we have is if God helps us. Amen. If I'm going to change, God has got to change me. If I'm going to be saved, God's got to save me. If I'm going to be healed, God's got to heal me. If I'm going to be delivered, God's got to deliver me. I can't do it. It's, it, our faith, religion is not, you know, the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. That's not it. It's he did it, he did it, he did it. He did it. The work on the cross. He said it's finished. It's completed. He did it. And our job is to trust in what he did and present ourselves to him. Romans 12, it says, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Holy, which is, I'm going to preach on that in a few weeks. Holy unto God. Acceptable unto God. Which is our reasonable service. It's the only reasonable thing we can do when we realize that God gave the Son on the cross. The only reasonable thing for us to do is to say, you gave that, I'm giving me. I'm not holding back no more. You gave everything on the cross, and I'm giving me. You know, sometimes we get hung up on the fact that, can God truly forgive me? Can God truly forgive me? I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt this morning that God is still in the forgiving business. God is still in the saving business. He's still in the delivering business. He's still in the filling business. And he's, he's, still, he's still in business. God didn't put closed. I always say this. He don't grow gray hairs. He don't get old. He doesn't doze off. He doesn't do that. He never changes He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the quicker we realize that, the quicker, the quicker we'll run to him and say, God, you're the same God who delivered Abraham, who delivered Moses, who delivered Isaac. You're the same God who delivered all the saints in the Old Testament. You're the same God that's delivered all the saints before me. God, here I am. Here I am. Forgetting the things which are behind, pressing forward. Pressing toward the mark, the high prize of the calling, Jesus Christ. That's what God's called us to do. I want to show you a couple of things this morning. Um, just some things about forgiveness, okay? First off, before we do anything, let me show you something about forgiveness in Colossians chapter number 1. So just go uh, one book over, one, one or two pages over. It's page 1022. Colossians chapter number 1. I want to show you something in verse number 13 and 14 because I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt how you're forgiven. Everybody say how I'm forgiven. 
Come on now. Say, how I'm forgiven. Okay, look at verse number 13. It's talking about Jesus. It says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us in the kingdom of his dear son. And we just say, hallelujah, I'm not in the darkness no more. Praise be to God. He's translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Where does your forgiveness come from? Through his blood. Through his blood. Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. Isaiah says that though our sins were scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. Well, that's everybody else's sin but mine, Brother Kenny. Well, come on now. You think that Jesus' blood... Jesus' blood is not strong enough to cleanse you. Everybody else, he can cleanse, but not you. Quit letting the devil lie to you. Quit letting the devil lie to you. Everybody else that's ever got saved had a past, and everybody else that ever saved thought that they weren't worthy. Everybody else went through the same thing, and all of us have the same kind of sins, okay? Just different degrees. There's God has saved prostitutes, God has saved serial murderers, serial liars, serial rapists, serial abortionists. God has saved everybody that has gone to him through faith in Jesus Christ and it's by the blood and nothing but the blood that they were redeemed from their sins and forgiven. And that's what God's calling us to do. Forget the things that are behind. Be washed and made whole by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? You know, I'll just say this. If you're listening to this mess, if you're here, I want you to know God is pounding home this morning this truth that you need to stop letting your past beat you up. You need to receive forgiveness, complete forgiveness, you're not who the devil says you are. If you've been saved, if you've been made new in Jesus, you're not your past. You're new. And, and I believe with all my heart this morning, God wants to show you something in, 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 in this passage. Look, let's go over to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, starting in verse number 10. Now, you know, whenever this psalm was penned, the blood of Jesus hadn't been shed yet. But the truth about God was eternal. So by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this writer of the psalm knew this truth about God. But the reality of it didn't come till the blood was shed on the cross. Look at what it says in verse number 12. 10. 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Because if he had, we'd all be in trouble right now. Let's be honest. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
I want you to know this morning that if you're in Christ, if God has saved you, God has forgiven you, your past is not a part of you today. Your past is separated from you as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't look at you through that lens. God either looks at us through the lens of sinner or saint, blood-washed or blood-rejected. And if you are blood-washed, God says your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that amazing how God can do that? Isn't that amazing how God can do that? You know how far that is? It's more than a mile. It's more than two. You never find the end of it. You never find the end of it. Let me say this. I'm, I'm talking about us personally, about how God has forgiven us, and, we're, and God is setting us free from our past. But can I just, can, can I just drop this in free of charge? Your neighbor, your loved one next to you in this room, another believer in God, whoever, look, if they went to the Lord and asked for forgiveness, don't keep holding their past against them. If, if, if their past, if God has cleansed them and separated their past from them as far as the east is from the west, I always say if it's under the blood, don't reach your hand in the blood and try to pull somebody's sin back and put it back on them. If they've been forgiven, they've been forgiven. Let them go. Amen. Don't forget. Don't forget the Lord's Prayer, right? Whenever Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, the end of it, he said, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. We want to be forgiven, but we're not willing to forgive those who trespass against us. Well, you don't understand what they did. You don't understand what you did to God. If you want God to forgive you, which is far greater, you've got to forgive those who trespass against you, which is far less. Well, you're saying that, but you don't realize what they did. I don't. But God said, he's the one that's holy, not you. You've been done wrong. Everybody's been done wrong to varying degrees. Some of us had a harder time than others. Some of us had a harder time than others. But here's the thing I want you to see. We've got to be willing to forgive those that trespass against us. Those that do us wrong. Forgive us as we forgive those that trespass against us. That's a cold, hard, bitter gospel truth. You walk around bitter and saying, well, they did this and they did that and they did it. You know who you're focusing on? You're focusing on they. If you focus on they, you're not going to have any joy. You know who God keeps in perfect peace? Those whose mind is stayed on him. Isaiah 26, right? He keeps them in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. But if our mind is always worried about what they did to us, what they did to us, they're not acting right, they're not doing right, they're never... You're going to live thinking about them all your life? Are you going to live with your mind set on God? 
The promise is that he keeps you in perfect peace if you'll keep your mind stayed on him. Every time you begin wondering about somebody else, just stop. Just stop. Say, God, that's not my job. You're their God, not me. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to me. If it was up to me, I'd be setting people straight. But vengeance don't belong to Kenny. The Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord. Because sometimes we want to walk around and bop people on the head, you know, and say, don't you realize what you're doing? Don't you realize what you did? Right? That's God's job. And God's better at it than us. God's much better at it than us. God will get their attention at the right time. Do you know that God was long-suffering with you? Do you know that there was a time in your life when you rebelled against God? And do you know that there was probably people that were just say, saying the same thing? God, get them! Get them, God, get them! And you were just happy-go-lucky, rebelling against God, and then God let you go until he got your attention. Amen? And if God's able to get you, God's able to get them. So pray for them. Not against them. God, I just pray that you strike them down with lightning. No, don't do that. Don't pray against them. Pray for them. Say, God, get their attention. God, help them out. Open their eyes, God. Amen? Open their eyes, God. Soften their heart, God. Lord, I lift them up to you. I really don't care for them too much, but I'm lifting them up to you. God knows. God knows how you truly feel. Amen? So be honest with him. But remember, vengeance belongs to God, not you. So if somebody's done us wrong, if somebody's done us wrong, our job is to give them to God, not hold on to it, because it'll make us bitter. Right? And in the same breath, if you've done God wrong, you've got to let it go. You've got to let God deal with it. You've got to say, God, I, I sinned, I'm sorry, and here I am. Cleanse me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. Cleanse me. I'm going to show you uh, two more passages real quick. Go, uh, go with me to Micah chapter number 7. Micah chapter number 7. That's in the Old Testament. Right after Jonah, right after Jonah. Micah chapter number 7. We're going to go to the very end of it. In verse number 18, it says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. What does God delight in? According to this verse, what does God delight in? According to that verse, mercy. God delights in mercy. God, if anybody's been saved, it's because God is merciful. God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave the only begotten son, right? That whosoever believed in him, what? Would not perish, but have everlasting life. God, God loves mercy. 
right? God would rather extend mercy than vengeance. Even if you want to go to the extreme of thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah, think about this. God sent them an opportunity to repent. Time after time after time. Abraham pleaded, and God went down there to give them one more chance. God loves mercy. Continuing on in verse 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. We'll call that the sea of forgetfulness, right? God cast them into the sea. The, the context is that God cast them and you can never go back and fish them back up. But you know that's what we try to do to other people? Right? They, they lied, pull that in. Look, if they went to the Lord and they asked for the Lord's forgiveness and they're a new creature in Christ, don't go fishing in the sea of forgetfulness and try to pull their sins back up out of the water. Place it on them. Say, yeah, once a liar, always a liar, not if they're made new in Jesus. Once an adulterer, always an adulterer, not if they're new in Jesus. Once a rapist, always a rapist, not if they're new in Jesus. Once a molester, always, not if they're new in Jesus. Once a fornicator, always, not if they're new in Jesus. Jesus said he makes all things new. Old things pass away. That's not just words. It's reality. We're talking about people's lives. Old things pass away. All things made new in Jesus. In Jesus. Last one. 1 John 1, 9. We're going to close here. 1 John 1, 9, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Especially for people that are honest. Honest. People that are honest. Verse number 9. Well, let's read verse number 8. Verse number 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, how many of y'all know people like that? I'm the best there ever was. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You know why it says you deceive yourself? Because you're not fooling nobody else. Amen. The only person you fooling is you. Amen. You think that you're better than everybody. You think you got no sin in your life. You think you're the only one that does right, right? I'm the only one that does right. Nobody else is like me. You're deceiving yourself. Deceiving yourself. I'm the only one that loves you, God. I'm the only one. I'm the only one that walks right. I'm the only one that nobody else knows. If I could ever get, you deceive yourself. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Next verse. If we confess our sins, like I said, if you're honest, this is a beautiful verse. If you're dishonest and you deceive yourself saying you don't need it, nah. if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive 
us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is the promise of God. If you will confess, God will be faithful and just. That means not only will he, but just means it's the right thing for him to do because the blood's been shed. Because the blood's been shed. It's not like you're twisting God's arm saying, come on, Lord, please, please, please. He's just to forgive you if you'll come to him and confess. Because the, the appropriation has been made. Propitiation of our sins is Jesus. So if you'll go to him and confess, he will be faithful and just to forgive you. Not only will God forgive you, but God will also cleanse you. God will also cleanse you. That means giving you a new slate, giving you a new life. Romans 6 verse 4 says that we were baptized into the death of Christ and we were raised up to walk in the newness of life. God has given you an opportunity in Jesus to have your past separated from you and to give you a new hope and a new future and to walk in the newness of life. If you'll come to him and confess your sins, say, God, cleanse me. Now, I, I, I give this message in light of the new year. I, I, I was praying, and the one thought I just God is just hitting me and hitting me with was they, you've got to leave those things behind. For, like Paul said in Philippians 3, forgetting the things that are behind and pressing toward pressing forward. If you're going to be who God wants you to be 2019, you're going to have to forget your failures of 2018. Okay? And some of you may say, well, yeah, okay, I messed up once or twice. I messed up once or twice. Those, this is a great time to say, God, this year is going to be a new year. This year is going to be a new year. I want to please you in all my ways, God. I'll, you know what? Maybe, you've, maybe you have drifted away from God in your heart, but not your actions. You know what I mean by that? I mean, you know that people can be religious about coming to church, but not actually be there? We know that, right? You say, God, I want you to do a new thing in me. I don't want to fake it. You know, in the world, they say you can fake it till you make it. But in God, God wants us to be real with him. God wants honesty. And if we'll be honest with God, God will change us. I want to say clearly and unequivocally, once again, you can't change yourself. You can't help yourself. You've got to go to God, and God can change you. God can forgive you. God can heal you. God can save you, deliver you, whatever it is. God is the only one that can do it. Unequivocally, I want you to know that. 